Who was Joe Yes, Yes, that's right. How old was he when he became king? Seven. And who was his top advisor? And how did Joash do as a king? Good until he died. Good until Jehoiada died, and then not so good. Uh, and that kind of sets the tone for a bunch of these kings of Judah at the moment. So uh, his son Amaziah reigns, 14, 1 to 7. In the second year of Joash, son of Joahaz, king of Israel, Amaziah, the son of Joash, king of Judah, became king. He was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. And his mother's name was Jehoadin of Jerusalem. He did right in the sight of the Lord, yet not like David his father. He did according to all that Joash his father had done. Only the high places were not taken away. The people still sacrificed and burned incense on the high places. Now it came about, as soon as the kingdom was firmly in his hand, that he killed his servants who had slain the king his father. But the sons of the slayers he did not put to death, according to what is written in the book of the law of Moses, as the Lord commanded, saying, The fathers shall not be put to death for the sons, nor the sons be put to death for the fathers, but each shall be put to death for his own sin. He killed of Edom in the valley of Salt ten thousand, and took Selah by war, and named it Jokthiel to this day. Okay, so uh, what's the evaluation of Amaziah's kingship? Pretty good. Pretty good, but not as good as who is kind of the standard for good kings. So he's good, but not that good. High places weren't taken away. We'll have to get all the way to Josiah before those are finally abolished. And uh, But he did well, and uh, the servants that killed his father, he killed, but he did not... Kill their sons. Kill their sons because... So he at least trusted in the Lord in following the law about not executing the children of the rebels. And uh, he killed uh, uh, many of Edom and took uh, the territory of Edom. You know, <laughs> there's a sense in which the uh, relationship with Edom becomes kind of a status symbol, status. It kind of tells you how good or bad the king was. The good ones seemed to dominate Edom and then when they weren't doing so well, they lost Edom, and you know, it's kind of back and forth on that. <laughs> Comments and thoughts? So when did these people kill his father, the king? Well, they did it uh, back in chapter 12, verse uh, 20 and 21. Josakar and Jehozabad. Is there a broader significance to this whole lengthy reference to the provision in the law that it brings up? Other than, oh look, he followed a provision of the law? I mean, it seems there's going to be more to it than that. Well, I think that's the most important thing. I mean, obviously he wasn't supposed to cause the sons to be responsible for their parents' sins. But I, th I think it's a reference to just showing how he, he listened and followed it. Hmm. Do you have any other thoughts on what might be civilized? Not really, not anything specific, just that it seems like such an odd thing. You know, if you're going to just give an example of here's how he obeyed God, it seems like a kind of random thing to pick, and it just makes me wonder if there's not some further message conveyed by choosing that example. Well, 
in the context of where often they would have killed the children of the ones who'd assassinated their father, maybe that makes it more significant. You know, he was restrained by the word, whereas probably most other ancient monarchs would have killed the whole family. Hmm. Well, how about he? Because I think of Athaliah. Yes. You know, she killed all of her grandsons, right. except for one, and and previously there are several. Let's just destroy the dynasty. But yeah, absolutely. That happened in Israel on various occasions. Yeah. yeah. Wipe them all out. Right. Seventy sons killed. Boom. Yeah. yeah that, was that was the thing to do. Yes. Yeah, good point. Eight to fourteen. And Amaziah sent messengers to Jehoash, the son of Jehoahaz, son of Jehu, king of Israel, saying, Come, let us face each other. And Jehoash, king of Israel, sent Amaziah, king of Judah, saying, The thorn bush, which was in Lebanon, sent to the cedar, which was in Lebanon, saying, Give your daughter to my son in marriage. But there passed by a wild beast that was in Lebanon and trampled the thorn bush. You have indeed defeated Edom, and your heart has become proud. Enjoy your glory and stay at home, for why should you provoke trouble so that you, even you, should fall, and Judah with you? But Amaziah would not listen, so Jehoash, king of Israel, went up, and he and Amaziah, king of Judah, faced each other at Beer Beth Shemesh, which belongs to Judah. And Judah was defeated by Israel, and they fled, each to his tent. Then Jehoash, king of Israel, captured Amaziah, king of Judah, the son of Jehoash, son of Ahaziah, at Beth Shemesh and came to Jerusalem and tore down the wall of Jerusalem from the gate of Ephraim to the corner gates, corner gate, 400 cubits. And he took all the gold and silver and all the utensils which were found in the house of the Lord and in the treasuries of the king's house, the hostages also, and returned to Samaria. Okay, so we've got uh, Joash um, is the king of Israel. Now remember... He was the son of Jehoahaz, the son of Jehu, the one that had kind of uh, purged both sides and started over again. And Amaziah picks a fight with him. Come on, let's fight. <laughs> and, uh, well, what does, what's Joash's uh, verbal answer to the uh, challenge to go to war? A little story. Yeah, he has this little little fable almost. Dude, you're a thorn bush, I'm a cedar, maybe you shouldn't do this. Yeah. <laughs> it was kind of a funny story, you know, where the thorn bush asked the cedar uh, to let his daughter marry the thorn bush's son. Now, what do you think about the thorn bush uh, proposing a marriage deal with the offspring of the cedar? Unrealistic. Because? Because um, oceans don't get married. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's not what I was There is mu so much more dignity in a cedar tree <laughs> yes. than in a thorn bush. It would not be considered a suitable match. Yes, exactly. What, easy, you know. what in the world was the thorn bush thinking? To give its son a better position in life. Obama has. Does he have unmarried daughters? Yeah. He does, doesn't they're he? They're both unmarried. How old? They're like teenagers? One of them like nine. Oh, is the only one not a teenager? I mean, can you imagine some 
you know, guy working, you know, at McDonald's, you know, for a living or whatever, you know, sending a telegram to Obama saying, listen, I want to arrange a, a date for my son with one of your daughters, you know. I'm I mean, impressed that, that anybody would think to send a telegram these days. Oh, yeah, no. that's what I was thinking. <laughs> I email, I don't know. <laughs> the president, so I'm thinking of email. doing this in a highbrow way, I don't know. Uh, but, telegram? <laughs> whatever. Don't they still have those? No. Yeah, they <laughs> do. I don't think telegraph offices have been in service for a long time. I don't think even the president gets telegrams. Well, it's not even some kind of communication. Yeah. Well, assume for the lettered calligraphy invitation. We'll assume from the standpoint of the tape that this was a class several years ago. But but you know, it's just like, well, what in the world would this you know? Poor guy, who does he think he is? I mean, what chance is there of Obama's daughter wanting to date somebody who's a nobody? And so, I mean, can you imagine, what was the Thornbush thinking, saying, let's get our kids married to each other, Cedar the Thornbush, and, well, a wild beast trampled the Thornbush. I mean, it's kind of like he got too big for his britches. And, uh, you know, he got trampled down. And that's exactly what Joash is saying. You know, you won the battle at Edom. And now you think you're big and tough and cool and you know you can fight anybody you're gonna take me on it's just stupid don't even try it you go back home you know you're you're out of your element here uh well, how did that work that argument it didn't it didn't that was i didn't listen and so how did the battle go just as joe ash warned he was going to go he should have listened <laughs> yeah you know you're wondering if uh this might not have been some of the background to Jesus in Luke 14, 14 saying, you know, don't declare war to you. Uh, see if you're strong enough to take the guy on. You know, <laughs> uh, kind of dumb to get halfway to the battle and realize, uh oh, I don't think we can take him. Uh, so that's that's kind of the deal. I mean, they went to war, and I mean, looks like Joash just pretty well. He took all the gold and the silver and all the utensils in the house of the Lord and the treasures of the king's house and hostages and this, this was, boy he'd have been better off if he'd have just kept his mouth shut <laughs> and, and we're like that sometimes we can often you know we do something goes well and all of a sudden now we're mr everything you know man i can do it all i'm just you know it, it's amazing how much we overrate our successes and sometimes just really become unrealistic as to who we are and what we can do that's really pride you know, but it's it's a great lesson, and uh, it's a really cool little story. Comments and questions. Was anybody right in this? He doesn't even say why he wanted to fight. Just for the sake of. I suppose he wanted to annex Israel. I don't know. Annex I mean, it, it seems to me like just his his pride. The interesting thing I find about the way. Amaziah's story is told in Kings versus in Chronicles. In Chronicles, you find out that he took the idols from Edom that he defeated and started worshiping them. Yes. Before he decides to go on this little adventure with Israel. Yes. And so he has, you know, seemingly rejected God as part of this broader kind of arrogance that he's adopting. Yeah, I mean, foolish decisions, but don't we tend to make foolish decisions when we get too impressed with our own accomplishments? You know, when we suddenly think, man, I beat Edom, now I can, I'm invincible. <laughs> wow. 
I mean, there's nothing that looks dumber than pride. Because people will just, ah, they'll do things that just seem so stupid. Because pride just makes you foolish. So that's exactly what happened here. I don't know if either one was right. I mean, it looks to me like Joash was being provoked. I mean, I'm sure that he was He seemed to be defending idea. himself when yeah. Amaziah invades. Exactly. There's also the... Again, I don't know how much you want to mix anything from Chronicles since this is... Key. You're welcome to say anything you want. I'm not mixing but it a whole lot, but go ahead. Second Chronicles 25.20 says Amaziah would not... Well, okay, you know, you see uh, here in 2 Kings, it just says Amaziah would not listen in verse 11. In 2 Chronicles, it says Amaziah would not listen, for it was from God that he might deliver them into the hand of Joash because they had sought the gods of Edom. Yes. So... God at least had a purpose for this. He did, yes, absolutely. It wasn't Amaziah's purpose, whatever right. Amaziah's goal was. I don't know. If you start worshiping idols, you ought to be really careful about picking a fight. <laughs> God may use that as the very instrument to uh, bring you down. Gary's wisdom number 266. <laughs> but you know, uh, God, of course, I'm sure could have used other things, but this is a convenient opportunity. Uh, and you know, pride goes before dis the destruction, the Holy Spirit before fall. I mean, there's nobody more likely to fall flat on their face than somebody who's, you know, thinks they're something when they're nothing. I mean, and and it just, you know, you're almost embarrassed for him. You know, who did he think he was? It, it almost looks like he's asking for trouble. Yeah, in, in a way, where just, most it it almost doesn't have like a real story. It feels like you know. Well, almost like the fable that Joash cooked up. Yeah. Except that the fable is almost Amaziah. Yeah, exactly. He is the fable. <laughs> Good points. I wonder if there's any significance to to the fable in part, you know, saying did Amaziah propose a marriage alliance? We don't have a, a record of that, but, uh, you know, pro proposes that gets knocked down now daddy's all upset because, you know, his daughter won't get to marry him, or his son won't get to marry whoever, whatever, and says, okay, let's have a fight, but, you know. Yeah, I mean, but I think it's probably more likely that he's just coming up just with some sort of a fable, yeah, yeah to be a parallel, yeah. but yeah. You, you could imagine he'd do something like that, he seems, yeah. you know, I mean, sometimes the worst thing that can happen for to us is to win something, because <laughs> you win and then, wow. You go out and do all kinds of foolish things because you think, now I'm invincible. I mean, you know, isn't that what you think about a sports team? I mean, sometimes if a sports team goes undefeated, you worry about it in the playoffs, you know, because they, they're going to be overconfident. They think they can't lose. Uh, things like that. I mean, sometimes you really need a good hard fall to wake you up to the reality. You know, you live in this, you know, kind of floating along in this bubble or whatever. Were, would, would the utensils in the house of the Lord ever returned? Or would new ones had to be made? How many times is this now? Hey, yeah, I'm assuming new ones were made because you're right. They were taken over back to the gold mines. Yeah. To start over. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Gotcha. Yeah, they, they wow. They've lost them a couple times. Yeah, they, they, it seems like every time we turn around, either an enemy is taking the stuff from the temple or uh, a king of Judah is taking, taking it to pay off an enemy. <laughs> yeah. And you get them mixed up. The temple and the king's house both. They kind of go together. Sometimes they separate them. Sometimes, but a lot of times they do. You know, take it out of both the palace and the temple. Yeah, good point. Double dippers. 
right. Anything else on all that? So uh, he says he captured Amaziah, but then I mean later it says he lived 15 years. So it doesn't always. I don't know if there's any other detail. Did he take him back to Israel, or did he let him reign and charge him more gold utensils from the temple? <laughs> yeah. No, good questions. I don't know that we know how long he was there, but most people assume there was some sort of a co-regency with his son during the time that he was gone. Uh, you may see this, uh, Jonathan, but I don't think it tells us in Chronicles how long. Um, no. He lived 15 years after Je Jehoash died. Mm -hmm. uh -huh. His son has a exceptionally long reign that may seem to imply that he was overlapping with his father. I think, I think he had co-regency is very likely in this case. Most people so it may have happened while his father was right. away. Maybe. Right. Uh. <laughs> Seems a little odd that he lived 15 years after he was captured. Yeah. What was, I mean, what's the purpose? Yeah. Well, I mean, what, it does suggest that Joash didn't have a personal grudge against Amaziah. Good point. Didn't kill him. Give him some time to think about it. Yeah. <laughs> think about what you've done. Good point. All right, we are in Second Kings 14, and we're ready for 15 to 22. Now the rest of the acts of Jehoash, which he did, and his might, and how he fought with Amaziah, king of Judah, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Israel? So Jehoash slept with his fathers and was buried in Samaria with the kings of Israel. And Jeroboam his son became king in his place. Amaziah the son of Je Joash, king of Judah, lived fifteen years after the death of Jehoash son of Jehoahaz, king of Israel. Now the rest of the acts of Amaziah are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Judah? They conspired against him in Jerusalem, and he fled to Lachish. But they sent after him to Lachish and killed him there. Then they brought him on horses, and he was buried at Jerusalem with his fathers in the city of David. All the people of Judah took Azariah, who was 16 years old, and made him king in place of his father Amaziah. He built Eleth and restored it to Judah after the king slept with his fathers. Okay, so we've got the end of Jehoash's reign in 15 and 16, and Jeroboam, his son, becomes king. Have we, haven't we heard something about Jeroboam already in this story? Different Jeroboam? Yes, this is Jeroboam we affectionately call the second. Yes. It's just to distinguish him from the first. Yeah, uh, junior, but he wasn't related. He was just, uh, you know, had the same name. Um, and then Amaziah, you know, his kingship, and they conspire against him and kill him and take his son, Azariah, and make him king. Um, so, believe this makes now um, three in a row that the people have uh, killed. Um, they killed Athaliah, they killed Joash, now they killed Amaziah. So, this is, uh, you know, it's not, you don't have very good uh, longevity statistics if you become king. And uh, they use Azariah here in some passages in Kings and in Chronicles they use Uzziah. But, you know, 
you've got uh, really you've got just the the end of his reign, and uh, you know we have this idea that perhaps Azariah was the um, like a co-regent, like he reigned during this last part of Amaziah's reign, assuming that perhaps some of that was as a captive. We don't really know. I mean, he lived that 15 years. Was he in captivity that whole time? Was he in captivity part of that time? But the, the dates work out well. If we assume that the people took Azariah, made him king at 16 years, even while his father may have still had the title of king. Thoughts and comments? It seems strange to me that they're killing the kings in Judah, but they stay with the same family. As Jude always say, but it seems like, you know, generally right. wouldn't you kill them to bring in a new monarchy? Judah has a lot more loyalty to the David family. So why kill? I mean, they don't like that. Specific. They don't like that when they want the next one. They want the son. Okay. That just seems odd to me. And we're not necessarily saying that everybody killed them either. You know, somebody killed them or some group of people killed them. Not necessarily the whole nation. Yeah, I mean, them. the only one that there seemed to be a major uprising against was Athaliah, and of course she wasn't the rightful ruler or part of the Davidic family. Right. Uh, there's a conspiracy of servants against Joash, and there's a conspiracy of servants against Amaziah. Not necessarily all the people. Of, you know, it says all the people of Judah took Azariah and made him king. It says unspecified people right. killed Amaziah. <coughs> Correct. Other thoughts? Just the the odd. Well, not odd. I'm sure there's a reason for it. Um, but the interesting parallel that uh, you know, Amaziah becomes king after his father is assassinated by a conspiracy and there's this big deal made of how he killed the conspirators and then he's, he dies by a similar assassination conspiracy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you've got this uh, recurring pattern uh, in these. Well, he was obviously back in Jerusalem, but it wasn't when he, was, when he died. Yeah. Israel, yeah. They were probably unhappy that he made him go to war with Israel. <laughs> yeah. I, mean, I wrote down these things, the similarities between Amaziah and Joash. They both started better than they ended. They both opposed prophets and scorned their rebukes. They both uh, led sort of a conspiracy against them because of their misconduct and they were assassinated. They were both unsuccessful in war and bought off their enemy. You know, just kind of Lot, really, Joash and Amaziah, there's a lot of parallels between. You know, this, like I say, this is this time frame where the kings are bad, but they're not that good, and they kind of end up bad. Are there many more kings who aren't assassinated? <laughs> we do yeah, like actually, to assassinate our kings, don't we? There's most, of, most of Judah's kings after this don't get assassinated. Okay. There's no such that thing as retirement. Yeah. Israel's kings on the other hand. In that business. Yeah, good point. All right. Uh, well, uh, 23 to 29. In the 15th year of Amaziah, the son of Joash, king of Judah, <coughs> Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, became king in Samaria and reigned 41 years. He did evil in the sight of the Lord. He did not depart from all the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who made Israel sin, <clears throat> which he made Israel sin. 
He restored the border of Israel from the entrance of Hamath as far as the Sea of Arabah, according to the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, which he spake through his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet, who was of Gethheber. For the Lord saw the affliction of Israel, which was very bitter, for there was neither bond nor free, nor was there any helper for Israel. The Lord did not say that he would blot out the name of Israel from under heaven, but he saved them by the hand of Jeroboam, the son of Joash. Now the rest of the acts of Jeroboam and all that he did in his might, and how he fought and how he recovered for Israel, Damascus and Hamath, which had belonged to Judah, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Israel? And Jeroboam slept with his fathers, even with the kings of Israel, and Zechariah his son became king in his place. All right, we're back to Israel, and Joash's son Jeroboam II reigns, and how did he do? Evil. Yeah, he was bad. Continued worshiping the golden calves at Dan and Bethel, but what else did he do? He was God's instrument for saving Israel. For yes, him. he was. I mean, he increased their boundaries. Really, we conquered the territory. And uh, he, you know, really, really had a powerful kingship. I mean, it's kind of like the Indian summer here. You know, they're doing pretty well militarily, economically under Jeroboam II, and then they're going to be plunged to their defeat. Uh, he's able to conquer uh, the Arameans and, and really restore the borders. God's almost sparing this unfruitful tree just a little while longer. <laughs> you know, um, comments or thoughts on Jeroboam II? By the way, uh, Jonah's the prophet during Jeroboam II's reign, which gives us an idea of when Jonah was uh, in that time period. About 793 to 753 are the dates we usually give to uh, Jeroboam II. I think it, verse 26 is very interesting. You think of, of God as having said, you know, I'm, I'm done with Israel. And yet, the Lord saw the affliction of Israel, which was very bitter. You know, there was neither bond nor free. There was no helper for Israel. It reminds me of, of the beginning of Exodus, where God heard the, the, the bitter cries of the people and sent somebody to help. Yes. And, and it's just very surprising. I mean, Israel's the evil one. Jews the one that's sometimes good. That's what you always hear. And yet, no. Mm-hmm. Judah's not so good here. And Israel, under Jeroboam II, at any rate, Israel restored a lot of its boundaries and was very successful. Prosperous, strong. Yeah. I, just, I find God's patience with this. I mean, we know that Israel's a very wicked nation. And God's patience with them and his continued mercy toward them I, just, I find very impressive. As well as the thought of how God accomplishes things and uses people. I, mean, I think typically I, I'm more conscious of uh, you know, the story of Habakkuk and how, you know, emphasizing how God can use wicked people for judgment. But I don't typically think of God using the wicked people to deliver other wicked people because God's just that merciful. Mm -hmm. Good point. Other thoughts? 
All right. Uh, well, 15, 1 to 7. In the 27th year of Jeroboam, king of Israel, Azariah, son of Amaziah, king of Judah, became king. 